we will be to that show as the little red bandwagon is exactly. to this show. So yes. we'll just roast Danny, David, Moore, yeah. and they won't listen to us because they'll get their feelings hurt. <laughs> Perfect. Welcome aboard the Little Red Bandwagon, your twice-weekly podcast about the podcast Too Beautiful to Live. In Dallas, Texas, at the Animal Rescue Studios, I'm your host, Meredith Alloway Mayhan. Joining me today to bring you a recap of the previous week of TBTL in the Stick of Butter Studios in New Brighton, Minnesota, it's Anne Lundholm. Good morning, Anne. Good morning, Meredith. And in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, it's all-around good guy, Bobby. I'd rather quit my college coffee shop job than get snot in your latte, Pape. Hey, Bobby. Good morning, Meredith. You're actually conflating two stories, so I'll tell them both later. (laughs) Shoot. Well, okay, we'll get to that. But first, we've got some LRB business for you, including why my doggy daycare bill is about to go through the roof. We'll run through our week in review, uh, roll up our sleeves for some housekeeping, and let you know how you can get involved with the show. Um, First up in LRB business, we need to talk about our Friday show for a second. Bobby, you and Phyllis discussed how others see us. Um, Could you give us a little bit of a a mini recap? I just listened this morning and I had not heard this story about Luke's (laughs) fiance, Tiffany, before. Yeah. Well, uh, no one knew about Luke's fiance, Tiffany, including Luke, which is really quite impressive. Mm -hmm. Uh, Phyllis picked these couple of clips from 2009 uh, because she liked the interplay of Um, misconceptions about how other people see us in the world. And sometimes they're misconceptions because of our own doing. And sometimes they're misconceptions based on things that are happening completely outside of your control. Uh, So the first clip uh, was Luke getting a call from this woman, Tiffany's friend, because this friend was very concerned about Tiffany. And Tiffany knew that Luke was Tiffany's uh, was engaged to Luke. Uh, except that he wasn't. They were classmates in high school, and um, Tiffany's compulsive lying went a good bit further than this friend realized (laughs) when Luke was apparently an entire character in her uh, false existence. Uh, And Luke recounts the phone call that he had with this friend of Tiffany, uh, which is, Hilarious and also extremely awkward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, the relationship was very torrid, as a quote from the episode went. Uh, we also get a clip of uh, Luke being a little bit more of the design of awkward circumstances in a very curb your enthusiasm sort of way. Uh, of a time he went to Dick's with Vanessa to get some ice cream cones and a soda. And he was dressed in, uh, was it? Uh, sort of yard work painter style, you know, just scrubby clothes. Uh, And then he realized he didn't have his wallet on him. And Dick's was, of course, cash only back then. So he was scrounging the car for change, went to pay for a couple of ice cream cones, did not have enough money. And a woman behind him in line offered to give him, insisted on giving him the money to make up the difference. Uh, And it sort of hit him that he appeared to be a homeless uh, person trying to buy food at Dick's and that she thought she was being kind and charitable until she saw him get into his space car. This has happened to Luke more times than anyone I've ever, like the, that whole bus <laughs> story when he didn't have any money to get on the bus yeah. and had to beg. Well, oh, in that particular, you know, story, he really brought it on himself. Yeah. Waking up in the yard and right. being in the middle of nowhere. Right. 
Whereas this one, you know, this one's really on that that woman for prejudging his situation. Right. But uh, both very awkward, and I told uh, an equally awkward story um, that I thought was somewhat related. And in hindsight, maybe I shouldn't have told. But hey, if you want to hear it, go back and listen because it's it's out there now. <laughs> Bobby, that was a hell of a story. I'm glad you told yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and Phyllis dug into it in psychological ways that I hadn't even really fully processed. So. If you want to hear some real therapy live, uh, you can you can listen to me kick back on Phyllis the Therapist's Chaise Lounge. And- Phyllis Weinberg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's definitely worth a listen. And, of course, uh, we're sort of in our final throes of Phyllis Fridays. And mm-hmm. this was taped a while ago. I made a spoof at the beginning of the episode about what a crazy – early November it was, and I couldn't have been more right about the World Series, so I'm really happy about that. And those clowns in Congress really have done it again, haven't they? What what a bunch of clowns. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the next item on LRB Business, I only wrote Detective Bobby. I've been holding this story close to my uh, vest from last night. So uh, as Anna Meredith know, and some of you who follow me on Facebook know, uh, this was a concert week for my day job. Um, I manage Boston Music Aviva, which is a professional contemporary chamber music ensemble in Boston. Um, we're a very niche thing. Our audiences are pretty small, but we're very high-level musician types. And I do all the work off stage. That means they can do what they do on stage. And last night, uh, we featured a soloist uh, named Yazi Go. Um, who's a big deal in China uh, and in Asia, actually all over Asia. He's a sauna player, which is sort of a double reed uh, woodwind uh, that gets these really high pitches, and it's a, a native Chinese instrument um, that sort of looks sort of like a short-ended clarinet with a wide uh, opening at the end. Uh, and he is not only sort of one of the world's leading players of this instrument, uh, but he also has invented a special reed for it that makes it a little more flexible in the way he can play it. And so he's, you know, kind of a big deal. Let's put it that way. Uh, and he was our featured soloist on a big work at the end of our concert. Um, and he's also pretty flighty um, and uh, absent-minded, as a lot of musicians are. Um, he lives in Boston, and um, we had never worked with him before. And uh, he had a nightmare scenario come true for me last night at my concert. He came in at about 7.30, but half an hour before the concert was supposed to start, and let me know that he had lost all of his instruments. Mm. Uh-oh. He was supposed to play four different uh, Chinese wind instruments um, in this piece, this big 20-minute uh, work that's really meant to showcase all these different instruments. And they'd been handpicked for this. Um, through some consultations with the composer who wrote the work and with our music director. And, you know, it was really a showcase for him. And he came in to tell me that he and his wife and kids had parked their car no. uh, in a parallel parking spot on Cambridge Common, which is like a big grassy area with parking spots all around it, uh, and had gotten out and had unloaded his bags with his instruments and music and put them down and then realized they didn't have any quarters and drove to another spot or to go find some quarters and then they reparked and then they realized they didn't have his instruments. <gasps> and his English isn't great. His 13-year-old daughter was helping 
uh, move the story a little bit, and they were asking if they could call the cops. And I'm like, well, of course, you can call the cops, but we also have to figure out what we're going to do with this concert. Um, so I was also managing the front of house and ticket sales, and thank God Sam was there with me and a friend of ours, Christine, and they had not done the ticket sales on the computer program we use, but it's not that hard. And I just said, Sam, take it. I need to go deal with this. And I'm keeping a straight face because I'm not telling any of the patrons what's going on. A police officer shows up out front. Um, I order Yazi to go home and try to find alternate instruments he could play. Uh, and so I'm helping give this police report along with his daughters to a very kind police officer, but I don't think he fully understood the extent of what was happening at first. And finally, I just uh, looked at the kids and I was like, once the concert starts, we're going for a walk. And I had them take me back to where he was parked. They had already gone and looking once and couldn't find them. Um, I was running around in a suit <laughs> trying to see if I could find these instruments outside. Um, and I, I finally did. They were, they were at a parking spot a little further down than they had remembered. And they were tucked under a little fence that runs along the side of the parking spots. And they were kind of obscured from view. And I just got really lucky in the right light and caught them sticking out a little bit. And I grabbed the bags and ran back to the concert hall and made the kids call their father and tell him to get his ass back to the concert hall. And we got everything back and settled by about 845. And he had about half an hour to get settled and warm up and still play the concert. Wow. wow. Um, I had to call the police back and tell them that it was settled. <laughs> And I'm, like, panting and out of breath and sweaty and gross <laughs> and trying to, like, compose myself because most everyone still has no idea what the hell happened. And uh, and it worked. He got – everything was there. Everything was safe. Nobody had touched his bags. They were just in a different spot than he had remembered. Um, and uh, it was very close to a disaster. My music director was backstage trying to figure out if they could just replay the first half again. Um, a lot of people had come just to really see him. He was the big selling point of this concert. So we were going to have a problem. Um, and I finally just, uh, took the time to go look and found them. So all that murder she wrote has come in handy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thankfully the narrator told me all the right places to look. <laughs> wow. You saved the day. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, normally I'd be a little more humbled, but it was I busted my ass yeah. when I found those instruments. Um, the parking spot was a few blocks away from the hall, so I'm like, phone in one hand, running, <laughs> trying not to miss anything if anything happens. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, this, it's a Sona, is his primary interest in the instrument, and it has this special read he designed on it, and it's like, first of all, nobody could ever play it or sell it, because it's completely different. Like, it's a one-of-a-kind thing, and it's just, you hear these stories every couple of years about someone leaves, like, a super expensive Stradivarius violin mm -hmm. in a cab in New mm -hmm. York, or Yo-Yo yep, yep. Ma once left his cello in a cab, and it's because you just get so used to carrying these things around. Uh, and musicians, you know, it's a different part of their brain. They're not always the most organized people. And I just, how do you show up to a concert and then realize you don't have your fucking <laughs> instruments? Oh, what a nightmare. Uh, yeah, I've, I've had someone die at an event before. And right. this, this <laughs> might still be the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to me at a concert. <laughs> Uh, you know, 
life goes on, it wouldn't be a disaster uh, of magnitude if if we had to just change the concert order and apologize to everyone and whatever. But, I mean, these are irreplaceable things. There's probably somebody in the audience who was in a Loverboy cover band who could come up and sing, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's a foreigner cover band, but flexible to Loverboy. I I thought it was the other way around. Oh, I don't remember. No, it was because the band was Fever 103, so definitely a foreigner. Right, right, right. Uh, Long story short, I get to add detective to my business card now, or inspector, or I don't know, something like that. My music director declared me the emperor of the night last night. I don't know exactly what that means, but (laughs) I'll take it. Yeah. That was me running backstage in a sweaty heat being like, it's okay, we found him. (laughs) And yeah, people are funny. like, what's Bobby doing on the floor in the corner? They're like, oh, uh, no. Yeah, I had, I had a couple of people that I was a little short with, not rudely like mean, but like just did not pay attention to them when they came in. And I had to pull them aside after and be like, hey, sorry about that. Here's why I was preoccupied. Uh, yeah. So hopefully this story will be funnier in a couple of years. <laughs> All's well that ends well, right? Um, yeah, so after a week of getting up at 5 a.m. to set up for rehearsals every day uh, and running on my fumes at the end of my, you know, the end of my week last night, that's that's why I'm particularly rough this morning. It makes sense. <laughs> um, that's my story. Power out. Wow. <laughs> well, I've got a pup date. Um, we are... Undergoing some pretty major renovations here at Animal Rescue Studios. We're tearing up the driveway, building a new garage, um, expanding and gutting and renovating the kitchen, and we just added painting the exterior of the house. So I'll just that's, throw that in. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what this means for Eddie, because <laughs> that's really what matters here, is that the side gates to the backyard have been open at kind of unpredictable times because the painters are having to come and go right now. And that's what's happening at the moment. And so, you know, he likes to play in the backyard. He likes to go out there and bark at squirrels and run around in in, um, in circles. And he can't do that he right doesn't. now. Yeah, it's fun. Um, and he can't do that right now. Um uh, because he's an escape artist. I can't just let him out there. He'll run away for sure. So um, I'm having to take him to daycare almost every day, and I will be for the foreseeable future, which is so much fun for him, but a ton of money and work for me. And also pretty soon they're going to be tearing up the carpet in the very room that I'm sitting in and replacing it with wood floors. So I'm going to have to find somewhere else to both work and podcast. Uh, And that brings me to my next point, which is that I'm going to probably be going to escape to the Great White North for most of the rest of the year to avoid these problems. Um, I think around Thanksgiving, I'm going to be probably broadcasting from childhood bedroom studios at my mom's (laughs) or my dad's, maybe my sister's and maybe the inevitable Airbnb to which I escape when I can't stand it anymore. I reserve that right. Um, Although I learned, I learned in my last trip to Michigan that my dad turned my old bedroom into a space for his drum kit. And so if I rolled over in bed the wrong way, I ran into like 40 symbols and woke up the neighborhood. Is it possible that that's Midlife Crisis Studios? Uh, yeah, quite. Um, so anyway, all that to say, I'm I'm gonna make I'm gonna be in Grand Rapids for a lot of that time, and I'm gonna make at least one uh, mini trip to Detroit. So if there's any Michigan wagoneers who want to go get a drink or something, hit me up, um, 
And the other thing is that I'm going to make this a road trip. And it's going to be a road trip in my brand new Subaru Outback. What? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I just bought a new car yesterday. I wasn't really planning on it. Um, I've been wanting a different car for quite a while, and I've test drove a few, and it's been a point of contention because Duff really wanted me to buy a minivan, and I really didn't want to buy a minivan. Um, and I drove a few, and they're nice, but, like, I don't have any kids. And, you know, the 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 one that I would have ended up getting was, was in the, the area of $50,000. Ooh. And I was like, um, I don't think so. Like, not for a car I don't really want. Um, so I ended up with a Subaru Outback. Um, it's all black and it's got tinted windows because I'm a gangster. <laughs> and um, it's really comfortable. It's a great car so far. It's got about uh, 29 miles on it now. So that's my excitement. Wow. You just thought, I'll buy a car today? I guess. I mean, I, this has been a long process. Like I've, my car has been kind of awful from the get go and I've had it since the end of 2015. So, um, this was the first car that I thought of that actually stuck in my head that I would actually kind of want to drive. And I, I just thought, Oh, I'll go test drive it yesterday. And, and usually when I'm like, ah, oh, I'll go test drive this car that I really like, that means time to buy a car. So I should have known it was coming, but I wasn't fully planning on it. <laughs> Do you remember that episode of This American Life about the car dealership and the quotas they had to hit? I think we've actually mm-hmm. mentioned it on our show mm-hmm. before, too. I love that episode. It's one of my yes. favorite This American Life's ever. I remember one of the one of the sort of uh, fire-up speeches that they give to the salesman is that if somebody comes in for a test drive, don't let them tell you they're not ready to buy a car because they wouldn't come in and get a test drive if they weren't ready to buy a car, which mm-hmm. – you know, it may or may not be true, but I'm not going to judge you as someone who started a day earlier this year trying to get new car mats from the pick and pull and instead <laughs> ended up buying a new Toyota Corolla. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it happens. You know, you knew you were ready deep down inside emotionally. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. on the docket for the day, but it was bound to happen one of these times. So I'm very happy with it so far. Did you uh, get rims? Did you pimp it? Oh, yeah. It's all pimped out. <laughs> can we get um, can we get a picture? We should do the, unless something better comes up that I'm missing. We should do that for the show. Yeah, picture. definitely. Nice. Uh, and you're going to Grand Rapids and Detroit, mm-hmm. and Anne uh, very soon is going somewhere almost as exciting. Almost, uh, like Meredith, I made a snap judgment after thinking about it for a long time. Uh, come Thursday, I will be deport departing this country for Portugal for a week. I decided it's been four years since my last international trip and I love traveling. And so I woke up one morning and I said to myself, self, I think I'm going to go to Portugal. So I bought a ticket and I got a hotel and I am out of here. <laughs> it was really that spontaneous. That seems so unlike you, Anne. I, well, like you had been thinking about the car for a while, I had really been thinking about this trip for three years or so, but um, being a, a person who is frugal with their money, and also I'm a very routine-oriented person, you know, it's Monday, you get up, you get dressed, you go to work, you come home. I mean, that's just you how my life goes. Desserts. Exactly. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's Monday. Um, I, I have a really hard time busting out of that routine, but for some reason, I actually, I had been, it had popped back into my mind for like a a week. I'd been thinking about it and I just couldn't pull the trigger. So I was at work one day and I went over to my boss's cubicle and I said, I had to talk to you for a minute. 
And she's like, okay. And I said, it's not work related. And she said, okay. And I said, I need you to convince me to go to Portugal. And she said, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we talked about it for like 15 minutes. And then I went back to my desk and booked the trip before I lost my nerve. Nice. Mm-hmm. That's so On exciting. Work time? On work time. Yep. Whoa. Well, I had it all, I had it all scoped out and everything. I'd done all the research, so I knew the package that I wanted. And uh, then I just had to put the credit card in, really. So It's a good thing that manager from Storables wasn't your boss. (laughs) I know. (laughs) (laughs) There are some perks to being on a salary. Yeah. Uh, So I have been um, practicing my Portuguese. Duolingo tells me that I am 54% fluent in Portuguese. So I'm going to be fine, I'm sure. (laughs) And I'm ready to go. Uh, you're going to send us an audio postcard, I hope. Of course. Yes. Yes. There are beaches uh, at Portugal. I might try to find one. I mean, it's it's not the tourist season. The, um, it's on the ocean. I'd hope yes, there are it's, beaches. Yes, it's on the ocean. There are beaches. The average highs are about 65 in November, which is perfect as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So I won't be going in the ocean, but I may go to the ocean. Uh, what's the food scene? Do you have your meals laid out yet? No, I haven't gotten that far. But there will be a lot of food. Uh, I think if any listeners are Portugal adjacent or familiar, uh, could you send us your suggestions for Anna, things she should do? Let's Me. do uh, LRB is travel agents. <laughs> <laughs> there is one, The I don't know if it's the national dessert of uh, Portugal, but... Uh, their signature pastry, um, what's it called? The pastéis de nada, which is a Portuguese egg custard tart. I will be sampling those thoroughly. Everyone should have an, uh, an official pastry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Andrew Ballard, I'm looking at you. We need an LRB official pastry. Um, and when you get back, we'll set up a meeting. We'll set okay. something up. we got to figure that out. Right. Uh, I'm not going anywhere, guys. Uh, at least not right now. Nowhere fun. <laughs> Says the man who just got back from Aruba. Yeah, well, you know. Uh, more to come. I'm sure we'll we'll cook something up soon. Uh, we have also got some throw your phone moments from this week, uh, but I think we can tackle them uh, day to day, except we have one in general from listener Megan. Uh, and do you want to run us through this? Yes, this was a Facebook comment that Megan left on on the post for last week's recap. She says, I loved your Quip commercial, but I actually caved and bought one. See, I travel frequently enough for a long enough time that I either have to pack my Sonicare charger, which has other issues when traveling overseas, or use a manual toothbrush like a chump. <laughs> Did you know that when the Sonicare dies, it turns into a manual toothbrush? <laughs> It's like a Mitch Hedberg joke. I know. It's an escalator (laughs) stairs joke. Uh. Megan, that's a very good point. I support your right to use a quip. I just think it's funny. That's all. Yeah. We'll do more as we go. Let's jump into our week in review, starting with Monday, episode 2500. Finally, Hotel Pastry Chet. I'm not sure it was the best title opportunity from this episode but that's okay Mm -hmm. 
And it opens with the Trucktober song by listener Alex Booth. That was great. Yeah, it was. Um, I'd be okay with more listeners uh, writing songs to send in. Uh, you don't have to just be a weird Panthers fan who lives at home with his mother <laughs> to have songs on TBTL. <laughs> we get Luke asking Rudy if she is ready at the beginning of the episode, something that is becoming a theme. Uh, more on that later. I asked Cupcake if she's ready. She is indifferent. Uh, and we open up with Luke talking about his face injury sustained while jogging in Chicago and Andrew immediately asks if it's from skateboarding. <laughs> Fair question. <laughs> and would he tell it's us? It's pretty bad. It I mean, yeah, he probably would. That, uh, when, if you watch the newsletter video, it's pretty, if that's what that was, it's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gross. Uh, and of course he can't just leave it alone. No. Uh, Andrew recalls one time running and clotheslining his shin. Ooh. Much to the chagrin of Genevieve. <laughs> Sounds like more like the amusement of Genevieve. <laughs> she was yeah. dying of laughter. Yeah. <laughs> Can you blame her? Sounded pretty yeah. funny. Um, other people getting hurt is funny. America's mm-hmm. Funniest Home Videos taught us that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Luke uh, tried to patch up his face for Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me as much as possible. He carries some makeup in his kit but doesn't know what it is or how to use it. Um, and he also had a Band-Aid on his face, um, which most people wouldn't care about that much. But, you know, Luke, hypersensitive to these things, was really worried about it. Uh, then we get to some skyjinks. Um, Joni Balter and Tim Egan were sitting on his flight back to Seattle, I believe. Um, he was sitting uh, with them, and they got to talking uh, until Luke was offered a first-class upgrade and ditched them to go take the better seat. <laughs> he was like, see ya. Bye. I'm not shocked. Yeah, no. uh, but on the scale of who's a bigger deal, he's third on that list. And so mm-hmm. it is impressive that he would get the upgrade. I guess he just, you know, he flies more than them. It's not about who's most important. But right. mm-hmm. um, that is kind of funny that he just left those VIPs in the dust. Um, Tom Wassel of... Uh, Cairo and the adjacent ESPN channel was also on the flight, but didn't recognize Luke. <laughs> now that hurts. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty brutal. Carrie is trying to get Luke to use Neosporin on his face, um, on the wound that Luke calls herpetic looking. He knows two medical words, herpetic and diastema. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you know you, you know, he's yep. t- it starts at home. It's weird uh, how skeptical he is about Neosporin. Like, it actually does help you heal a little bit faster, and it keeps it from getting infected. I don't see the downside here. It's not like it's um, uh, like a weird fringe thing either. It's like, oh, it's medicated. Well, I'm not going to use that word because that's a bad word. But it's a medicated thing that you it's, can use. It's yeah, very common. Antibiotic ointment, that's all. It's good. There it is. Yeah. Had to say ointment. Ointment. Um. Andrew says that he prefers when these things, I'm so sorry if you're eating everyone, scabs over and then sloughs off in the shower. I think I blacked out when he said that. (laughs) This doesn't make sense, though, because things don't slough when they're wet, right? Sloughing is a dry term. Yeah, it's grosser than that. Well, also, the way he used the word slough, I actually wrote it in my notes as S-L-U-F-F, because that's the way I heard him say it. 
It took me a minute to realize what he was saying. Between this and the flesh talk later in the week, ugh, it was a tough one. <laughs> um, uh, Andrew, leading into more disgusting wound talk, Andrew's been reading um, books by, is it uh, Philippa Gregory? Mm-hmm. Uh, the other Boiling Girl and all of the other books. Um, and apparently one of them has a really gruesome arc about a leg wound in a king. I was a little out of my depth here with the story, but um, the quote that he said is that they cut into it and hold it open. And he just went into some detail describing this literary leg wound. And Luke loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty gross. <laughs> um, Luke recalls loving the book Hatchet when he was a child. Or a young adult. I loved it, too. When I was Me, a too. I don't understand how he feels like he needs to explain it so thoroughly, like most people haven't read Hatchet. I mean, it's kind of a famous book. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, um, I mean, was was the movie Castaway officially at all, like, did the movie Castaway have to pay any royalties to the book Hatchet? <laughs> Is this like a, like a Tom Petty, Sam Smith situation, or... Is Castaway really its own thing? Because that's based on a relatively... There's a story there, right? Yeah, I think so. That's so, good point. you know, like all Tom Hanks movies lately, there's mm-hmm. a true story somewhere behind it. But um, it's kind of the movie version of that. So maybe a generation from now, people will be talking about how they loved the movie Castaway instead of the book Hatchet. Uh, a listener noted to Luke recently that he talks about Daniel Bagley Elementary a lot more than he talks about Jesus Creek these days. That is a bit of a change from the early days of the show. Yeah, I think maybe it's that Luke and Jen had Jesus Creek in common. So that lent itself to being talked about when Jen was there. Yeah, they knew a lot of common uh, classmates and such. Mm-hmm. Right. And had some similar so. experiences. Yeah. And it sounds like it's still kind of a... Uh, more of a metaphorical open wound for Luke on all of the things that he was mistaught mm-hmm. right. at Jesus Creek. He's still pretty bitter about the skewed world that he was presented with from them. So it hits a bit of a nerve, but not one he wants to talk about. Uh, we get back into the Chris Hayes yo, yo, yo talk because, uh, they're just in perfect sync, and they talk about the clips from and play the clips from the previous week's newsletter. Uh, this will continue to evolve, so I don't know that we need to get into it more now. Uh, obviously, there's a an, a growing scandal here uh, with Chris Hayes allegedly singing the uh, yo-yo scat from uh, that clip. Uh, what's his name? Kenny Strasser? Um, no. Uh, Strauss. Strauss. Yeah, K. Strauss. There it is. We're just setting the table for an ongoing controversy about Chris Hayes and this. Uh, Chris Hayes did apparently also invite Luke to, or at least mention to Luke, a pickup basketball media game in New York, which sounds like it's going to be a possibility for a lot of embarrassment if he were to do that. Uh, yeah, and then we get how re- good how good can any of those reporters be at basketball? Right? It's not like he's playing LeBron here. Well, but I think the difference is that they play every week. And Luke thinks he's going to shoot a couple of free throws somewhere and keep up. (laughs) I mean, they're not basketball players per se, but they are playing regularly. And there's a certain amount of being in the rhythm for that that is going to, you know, 
hurt him. You're saying that Luke may be slightly out of condition on the basketball court? Just a little. I mean, when you choose the skateboard over walking, <laughs> you've really made your athletic choice. Uh, and we get some talk about Rich and Linda. <laughs> This may have been uh, my favorite thing. The mm-hmm. imaginary neighbors of Luke and Carrie. <laughs> um, do you think Rich and Linda listen to the show? And if they don't, do you think they will at some point and realize that they've become hyperbolic characters in the universe of TBTL? I hope they do, because if it was me, I would be delighted. Especially when the Stubot makes a a graphic card yes. for you. Which is a highlight of Twitter this week. Just have to hope that they know how to listen to a blog. <laughs> it is kind of like um, talking shit about Amish people. Right. Because they'll never hear it. <laughs> uh, then we get a New York Times quiz in this action-packed episode. Uh, it's a Sky Jinx travel quiz telling you life lessons on how you can be a better, more efficient, more frugal traveler. Uh, life lessons include saving money by flying on Thanksgiving Day, which makes Luke sad because he thinks Thanksgiving's a day for the family, and if you're traveling on it, you're not doing it right. But Thanksgiving is his... He takes it very seriously. He likes Thanksgiving more than he likes Christmas, Fourth of July, anything. Well, I mean, so do I, but I think you can also time shift it. You know, if the whole family can be there on Friday, then who cares if it's a sure. day later, mm-hmm. you know? You got to not be hung up on the fact that it's not necessarily Thursday. The day, yeah. Um, Luke is um, sad by that. Andrew is bitter because things close on Christmas. <laughs> uh, he's he's mad about how this religious holiday has become a secular holiday for retail. You know what I just learned is that it depends very much on where you are. Um, in that Ira Glass goes to Las Vegas, Nevada every year for Christmas. Because he said he's tired of walking around New York looking for a Chinese restaurant that has spots. <laughs> and that everything's open in Vegas yeah. all the time. It does Everything make a lot of sense. I hate Vegas myself, but... But if you want to be around people who don't give a shit about Christmas, that's yeah, a good choice. Yeah, that's a good choice. You know, if you just want to walk around and observe degenerate gamblers who aren't at home with their families. Right. Uh, growing up in Webster, New York, everything was closed except one local neighborhood grocery store um that had christian owners but they would let their jewish friend run the store one day a year oh (laughs) quite literally how nice of them it was sort of an annual tradition we could all run there for whatever thing we forgot for christmas dinner because they had you know uh uh, a jew on the side to help (laughs) so uh, that place has now closed and been turned into a fucking brewery because Webster's, mm. you know, getting cool. Um, all I had to do was leave. Uh, what else did we learn here? Uh, oh, hotels apparently won't bring you a Christmas tree to your room. But if you ask real nice, they might cook your favorite family recipe. I call bullshit on this. I Well, I don't think they touched on it when they were talking about it. But I think if you said to them... Um, my grandma always made really great mashed potatoes. Can you put mashed potatoes on the menu? I mean, they're not going to make the ones that grandma used to make, but they might make an option for you. Right. I mean, I guess if it's something super typical like that, um, 
you but know. like making a special recipe that sounds like i would never in a million years ask a hotel to do that nope i mean i guess if you're super rich then sure if you're staying somewhere where they'll just I do guess. whatever you want uh but you could probably get anyone to do that you could get a restaurant to open on christmas and make your meal if you're sure. super rich uh and we learned that fast food can be healthy what what uh, unless it's rocking McDonald's. Uh, we skip email. Sorry, Anne. Uh, I mean, was <clears> anybody else that... underwhelmed by this quiz? Yes. yes. Oh, it was completely unnecessary. And the episode was so long that it could have easily just been cut and been a mm-hmm. stronger episode. Right. Doing the quiz was lame and the quiz itself was pretty elementary. Like, you can go to McDonald's. Uh, they have parfaits, so you can eat healthily. <laughs> you can get a salad. I'm like, oh, really? Thanks for that Get tip. a grilled chicken sandwich. And this was the episode that was, what, two and a half hours long, right? Uh-huh. So this is absolutely, that just made it worse. That made it more painful. For the most part, I thought that this episode was surprisingly listenable for a two and a half hour episode. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed almost all of this episode. The Rich and Linda part was great. The Chris Hayes talk, the basketball talk, all of it. Uh, the quiz was only somewhat fine with me because they had fun doing it or making fun of it. But yeah, the quiz itself was awful. Mm-hmm. Well, and I wasn't this thrilled is... that Andrew only read the first couple of questions before he administered <laughs> the quiz. Into the whole thing. Well, like you didn't see that coming. Right. I mean, I'm trying to be more positive lately. You know, we love this show. We break it down every week because we listen to it and we love it. And sometimes we lose sight of that. And I thought this was a really good episode, but the content it was based on was awful. Yeah. Um, And damn you, New York Times, you're supposed to be, you know, better than that. But it's Mm -hmm. just some crappy online content, so whatever. Uh, No point conversion. Um, The Seahawks beat Houston. Houston was also very good. Uh, And the newspaper the next day in Houston cared a lot more about their World Series game win than their football loss. Um, that would prove to continue to be a good trend for them, so good for them. Mm-hmm. Um, we get another breakdown of game-by-game analysis, basically where Luke says, we should win all our home field games because home field advantage is great. Um, even Vegas odds will just say it's basically a three-point uh, you know, benefit for home field advantage. It's not anything amazing, but whatever. We've discussed before how breaking down game by game for the rest of the season is terrible sports talk for any sports radio, let alone a podcast. That's not about sports. Um, the Seahawks need running back help. We knew that, um, Houston traded, uh, a player to Seattle and it was TBTL breaking news because they got the phone alerts as they were talking. <laughs> Wasn't TBTL breaking news to all of us who listened to the episode many hours after they recorded it. Luke, uh, excuse me, Andrew actually got up at six thirty AM for the Browns game in London and didn't feel awful about it. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> I, I just, I know he's a Browns fan, and I know that for some strange reason he's really emotionally invested in it, but um, that's just awful. <laughs> I, if I, I couldn't imagine having a winless team. Like, if the Bills were winless and then played in London this far into the season, there's not a chance in hell I would have gotten up at 6.30 in the morning to watch it. Uh. And Luke feels a little sorry for Cam Newton, who seems to be on the losing end of a lot of hits and calls and treated like crap. Andrew doesn't because he still hates Cam Newton. (laughs) 
I was going to say, I thought we hated Cam Newton. When did that change? I thought we hated Colin Kaepernick, and somehow that's changed. <laughs> They're very fickle in their hate. Yeah, yeah. You know, a couple of years ago, I bought a Colin Kaepernick Christmas ornament on clearance from the Hallmark store on, in, like, March. Um, it's kind of a joke. I figured I would buy it, and eventually I would gift it to someone. It was only a couple of dollars. Now, I think I should hold on to it because 50 years from now, we might look back on him as a as a leader of social justice of our time. Amazing. Right? So, yeah, Kaepernick. We don't call him Squidward anymore, that's for sure. <laughs> nope. Uh, and that's all she wrote for uh, Monday. Not really, but if I keep going, the show will never end. <laughs> Let's go to Tuesday, number 2501. You've been spooktaculared. Um, Andrew has got his pre-recorded reverb greeting all ready to go, but unfortunately he hits it too soon and it comes in mistimed. <laughs> Which made me laugh. Um, they talk about the spooktacular. It aired last night at 11 p.m. on KUOW, and they both listened and are pretty pleased with it. But then they both almost immediately received disgruntled email that came in through the APM intake form on the TBTL website. Um, where this person says uh, they're going to pass on the newsletter from now on, or I guess in general. <laughs> They're not they're not going to subscribe to the newsletter. Um, I did not write down all the mean things they said, except for uh, this non listener thinks that they are a waste of space. And the reason that the Trumpians won. That's hard and pedantic, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. They uh, were very hung up on that. Yeah. The line that I have is smug, self-congratulatory and pedantic. Which might be well, my next Twitter bio. <laughs> I mean not totally wrong on that assessment it's just whether you're into that or not uh luke was a few glasses into the night by then and so he almost emailed back a quote sick burn oh boy. And i guess that is evidence of his ongoing maturity that he did not do that andrew said that he had a very similar response that he was also going to send back a sick burn but then he said what it was i forget but it did not feel very sick bernie to me andrew is just too nice to ever yeah. be able to he come can't back lay down to somebody. A yep yeah i mean luke has got just enough of a, a mean meanness to him that he can uh, really hit someone where it hurts but andrew just doesn't have that capability oh yeah they discussed the meaning of pedantic for a while <laughs> and, hmm. and uh then andrew jokes that i mean they don't know who this person was they were assuming it was a man but andrew says hey this could be christy wise who is emailing them in <laughs> nasty comments sure i mean i haven't asked her so i don't i don't think it is but it could be and uh, uh luke says that he wishes that more people went to this amount of trouble to provide feedback and i was like what no, you have hundreds of people that would love to give you feedback if you didn't get upset about it every time. I don't he does not this. want our feedback. He does not. Um, but uh, they say that this email, besides going to both of them, it also went to Diana, who's in charge of digital at APM, Brandon in marketing, and their boss, Nate Toby, is copied on those emails and i was like wait 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 
did Luke just tell us how we can directly <laughs> submit show feedback to Nate? Yep. Did he realize that he did this? Ah, uh, yeah, good this job. is a disaster waiting to happen. <laughs> we should just reroute our throw your phone inbox to that email address. Ooh, sneaky. So talking about uh, their Halloween plans, Luke doesn't have a costume and he wonders if maybe he should try and incorporate these facial injuries into his costume. I don't understand how you can actually make it to Halloween and not have any idea of what your costume's going to be. Not if you want to do something good. Right. But, I mean, I don't think he went anywhere, right? He was just at home all night, so it doesn't matter that much. Then... Well, he just went his bruised, bruised ego for Halloween. It's fine. <laughs> Costume's all set. That's very subtle, but it works. Uh, they played the spooktacular. I was very happy with how the spooktacular turned out. Let's look at some throw your phone moments. Um, uh, from Lauren, I was worried that the spooktacular would be something that I would not recognize as TBTL, but it has turned into a cleaned up version of the show I love. Awesome. It's sort of like what TBTL could be if they did not go on tangents and poop joke sprees, though I usually do like the tangents, but not the poop joke sprees poop joke sprees and crit said similarly hug your phone the spooktacular was wonderful love the new material old stories and the continued inclusion of the dave bose story um yeah i well (laughs) i we can agree to disagree on the dave bose story crit but other than that i really enjoyed the spooktacular uh i thought it was well done I wondered if maybe they listened to the clip show that Christy and I did last Halloween because two of the stories that Luke told were ones that I featured in that show, um, including the uh, Luke's Christian upbringing and his complicated relationship with Halloween, i.e. demons are real and he was afraid of the rapture. But then the one time he was allowed to go trick-or-treating where he went as the Roman soldier and he met the lady dressed up as the witch and so he was so scared that he ran all the way home and hid under the bed he eliminated (laughs) the detail where he actually got in the sleeping bag and then got under the bed in the sleeping bag which i think is is a very dazzling deed but that's a really cute story um let's see oh and then he also told the one about going trick-or-treating but they were they allowed to go in costume for that one or not? I forget where they went to the quote unquote business district uh, to do the trick or treating, but they weren't allowed to say trick or treat. Which yeah, kind so of they had to say it, please. Yes, <laughs> makes it a little bit more difficult to do that. Uh, and they speculate on uh, what's the line for kids to stop trick or treating at what age. Do you need to stop? Now, I'm very sad because, as I actually told on our Halloween clip show, uh, the last time I trick-or-treated was when I was seven because then we moved to Europe where they did not celebrate Halloween in the same way. And when we moved back when I was 12, my mom said, no, you're too big to go trick-or-treating. Not too old, too big. I mean, I was probably 5'8 by that time. So she was more worried about what it would look like rather than my love of candy. And it's only scarred me my whole entire life. And you've never loved candy again. (laughs) (laughs) Then they get to the first of the new material. They talk to their coworker, Lindsay from APM. And she tells this wonderful story about her dad and the Halloween candy tax. 
she mentioned um i don't know if it was her best halloween or her worst her her best uh halloween costume or her worst halloween costume but the casper costume that she had to wear in a blizzard which would have been the 1991 <laughs> halloween blizzard <laughs> Every Minnesotan remembers that night. I mean, if we called Mike Farnan right now and said, Mike, what were you doing on Halloween night 1991? He'd be able to tell you because it's that big a memory in the state. Um, But her dad went with them to do the trick-or-treating and he had like this um, complicated system of flashlight signs directing them where to go and how to do it and all that stuff. And then when they got home, he uh, implemented the candy tax, which was 10% of their candy except he had some more complicated provisions of the tax code where he got more than 10% of the Snickers and the Smarties weren't even part of the tax base. And then he also took Lindsay's friend Kelly's candy too. That would be a hard decision. I mean, because if if her dad made such a a big thing out of trick-or-treating, Kelly could score a lot more candy, but then if she had to give 10% of it up... I don't know. You'd have to think about that. Uh, this was a great counterpunch to the Trump Jr. candy socialism tweet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. It just sounds like that this house needed a little bit of tax reform. Yeah. <laughs> so, some um, lower tax brackets, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. You got to really do something more for the middle candy class. <laughs> The kids that only have the candy pumpkin in, uh, basket instead of the pillowcases that oh, we're talking yeah. about. <laughs> right. These kids aren't trick-or-treating in the full candy bar neighborhoods. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, Andrew talks about his problems with Halloween. I really like this part because I've never really understood his animosity towards Halloween other than he hates participating and he hates dressing up and he hates being around people in costume. But he talk about, talked about his childhood uh, where, as we all know, he was picked on a lot. And he spent most of his time really trying to blend in. But the problem is that Halloween is a complete catch-22 for somebody in that situation. In order to blend in on Halloween, you have to stand out in your costume. And so poor Andrew had absolutely no way to win at this. So I'm finally understanding uh, a little bit of why he has such a problem. And then he told the news story, which was so heartbreaking about the one time he dressed up and he went to school in a ghost costume and somebody he calls Mrs. Carol, who's the room mom yelled that he couldn't breathe and then ripped his mouth hole wide open and ruined his costume. And Luke said, Andrew. oh, Andrew. And I was like, oh. And then he ended up bunching up the fabric around the hole and then holding it in his mouth the rest of oh. the day. <laughs> Which is not a terrible solution to that problem. I mean, I guess if no, he could have... It's, it's sad. It's sad, yeah. yeah. If he could have found some safety pins, then maybe he could have done a scary mouth sort of thing, but... I guess he's probably pretty over Halloween at that point. Uh, They get a voicemail from listener Eric, who made what sounds like a great costume as a child. He was a TV playing The Empire Strikes Back. Very specific. (laughs) Yeah. 
And I kind of missed the thread a little bit on this about his mom stapled bags of candy on the inside of the costume. I don't know. But yeah. the important part was that the box was hot and it also was not made of breathable material. So eventually, uh, when after sweating in the hot box for who knows how long, he got on the bus and sat over the wheel well, as you do when you're a cool kid, and then barfed. And got kicked off by the bus driver and had to (laughs) walk home. That's harsh. I know. He said like a mile from his house. And that's the last time that Eric celebrated Halloween. (laughs) That's a terrible story, Eric. Uh, This, of course, um, kicks off a story from Luke about how he got kicked off the bus for sassing the driver for the two weeks that he had to ride the bus to go take the standardized test. And he got kicked off for having a mouth on him. And Andrew talks about the driver who used to gun it over the speed bumps, and so they would (laughs) fly in the air. That sounds awesome. I know. I would have loved that bus driver. And then Luke uh, says that the bus that they rode on to away basketball games from Jesus Creek had a crack in the back window, and so the exhaust filtered in through it. And maybe that's why their basketball team wasn't so good. (laughs) (laughs) They all had carbon monoxide poisoning. (laughs) Yep. Um, this may have been my favorite part of the show, uh, is the worry over the lack of trick-or-treaters at, uh, Burbank Springs. Carrie is really sad about this and she wants to drive up the trick-or-treating numbers. So they have her on the show and she has gone all out. They talk about all the different decorations she's put up, including the fright this way shovel with a face on it. And then, um, For people that haven't seen, it was requested that she put some pictures or something up of her decorations. And so she posted a video where Luke kind of walked through the whole setup. And it was extensive. Mm -hmm. It was really Mm -hmm. great, including projectors and a fog machine and skeletons coming out of the ground and skeletal flamingos, which we did not see on the video. And I'm kind of sad about that because I wanted to see what those look like. We have a couple of those. What? What? we have uh yeah they're great we so we have a thing for flamingos we kind of always have and when we finally got a house we finally got to put out some vintage plastic pink flamingos which we love and for halloween we got these skeletal flamingos a couple of years ago and this year sam put the skeletal flamingos in the place of the regular ones and then put the regular ones laying down on the ground under them like the skeletal <laughs> ones were eating them <laughs> I like it. I like the way she thinks. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, all of this is because their house is sort of set back off of a main road that has no sidewalks. So they just don't get a lot of foot traffic there. Andrew says he thinks that this is, quote, the trappiest trap that ever trapped. No. (laughs) Come on. Children, this way. Candy. (laughs) But she says, in all honesty, she's probably doing this more for herself because it's fun to have Halloween decorations and uh, I think that's wonderful Uh, that is uh, the end of the spooktacular then they come back to introduce the Dave Bowes Halloween story the traditional TBTL Halloween story and after they play that they both acknowledge for the first time that it's really not scary anymore and it's kind (laughs) of sad it's a sad story about a lady with drug problems yeah, but they're going to 
continue playing it. And I did not write this down, but I will say they were doing so well. This whole show was really so delightful. And then they spent the last five or ten minutes talking about Dolby noise reduction, something or other. (laughs) I was like, you were so close. (laughs) They almost made it. Yep. They just and, were scared of good content for a few minutes toward the end there. It's fine. They had to wreck it up a little bit. <laughs> and that was the end of Tuesday. All right. Wednesday, 2502. Do you even yo-yo, bro? Do you even yo-yo-yo, bro? There Pardon you me. That extra yo is very <laughs> important. Yo-yo is very important. Um, they open up with some more tall ships talk. I'm always gratified when they talk about their grace and their power instead of their grace and splendor. <laughs> They're never going to get that right, though. We're only ever going to hear that correctly in the recording. Um, They lament the end of Trucktober, um, but celebrate the countdown to next Trucktober. Can't wait for that. This reminds me of those signs in Irish bars that just count down to the next St. Patrick's Day. Right. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) 364 more days. Uh, They get a very sweet tweet from somebody named Joy Johnson about the Spooktacular. She's from Cleveland, and she just loved the show. And uh, someone needs to let Nate Toby know that because she did not go through the proper channels. So all he's getting is negative feedback right now. (laughs) Uh, They talk a little bit more about Carrie going all out for Halloween and how they ended up getting six trick-or-treaters, which they do terrible math on and decide is a 600% increase. And I'd just like to clarify that it is definitely a 500% increase. (laughs) This is when you sent us a picture of you doing the math and said, I'm so glad I have this episode. Yes. You subtract the new number from the old number, divide it by the old number, multiply it by 100, and that's your percent change. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, we do learn that uh, the mythical Rich and Linda came over on sure Halloween. He mm-hmm. he was just <laughs> apparently as a parrot going to a Jimmy Buffett show, sure. I think. And then she's a crocodile. So that tracks. I love it. I, I wish there were um, photos of this. Well, yeah. We could verify their existence, but... We'll maybe never get that. Um, we learned that uh, over Halloween, Andrew and Veeves gave out candy. Uh, mostly Veeves did it, and Andrew would just bellow from the other room, who's taking my candy? Which is pretty good. <laughs> uh, and that Carrie and Luke hid in the kitchen trying to look cool, but were giddy every time somebody would come to the door. And Andrew said that his favorite costume was a little girl dressed as a salmon, which is adorable <laughs> yeah, and the most Seattle thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> It was really weird when those guys in um, in the big um, hip waders and overalls started throwing her across <laughs> the place. But definitely the costume of the year. They give a shout out to our uh, best little guy, Gus, in his Steve Martin costume. It was so great. Mm-hmm. Um and Phyllis uh, sent a picture of this in the chat on the day. And I-, I was just, I was so impressed with it. And I didn't even notice that he actually had an arrow through his head. I did the same thing. Oh, I, saw, yeah, that took I saw the costume and then I started telling Phyllis, that's so amazing. All he needs is an arrow through his head, but maybe that would be a little too on the nose. And then she just writes <laughs> back, he has an arrow. He has an arrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was sort of behind a brownish background. So you couldn't exactly see it unless you were looking for it. But he had it. It was down to the, the, the detail. It was perfect. Yeah. He definitely won Halloween. Way to go, Gus. You're the best. 
Um, the, we move on to some unfortunate sound effect talk where they just play way too long of clips of shocked crowds and gasps um, for unknown reasons. And uh, the, really the top story today is the Chris Hayes scatting controversy. Um, it, it sounds like he either is confused or misremembering or gaslighting us. I'm not sure. Um, I'm going with gaslighting. Yeah, you think so? I mean, it, that doesn't seem like a mistake he would make. Right. I My um, theory is that he never expected them to think that it was him. But then when they did, he has been running with it ever since. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, and he even said that his favorite thing is that he can't tell if it's me or him, meaning mm-hmm. Kenny Strauss, until two thirds in. So he's really he's playing us, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did get a good uh, throw your phone from listener Ellen, and she says, positivity first. I hugged my phone. I thought the deep dive into whether Chris Hayes tricked them with the Yo-Yo song. Am I the only one who initially thought they were talking about the early 90s rapper Yo-Yo? In parentheses. Was delightful. I groaned when they started, but it was hooked as soon as they laid down the serial music. Yeah, I agree. That was. Great. I love it when they do that, when they're solving <laughs> yeah. a mystery. Um, and then uh, Ellen adds, but, all in caps, holy effing hell, sorry, Aiden, how many goddamn times did Luke say peace and love on Wednesday's episode? That term doesn't even usually bother me, but this was excessive. He really did. He went he went all out with the peace and loves on yeah, Wednesday. It's been making its way back into the vocabulary of the show a lot in the last, I don't know, couple of months. But we seem to have reached peak peace and love. Yeah, and he's using it just as Southerners use bless your heart. Uh, it mm-hmm. means I'm about to say something mean. Mm-hmm. And it somehow is supposed to soften the blow, but it doesn't. Just an editorial note for Ellen. Um, if you say effing, you don't have to apologize to Aiden. <laughs> yeah, he knows what that means. Yeah. He can hear that. Um, more on Chris Hayes. The Stens page has some conspiracy theories that Chris actually just played the recording over the phone as a drop. And then uh, the guys sort of blame it on Lynn for labeling the clip as Chris Hayes. <laughs> And not as actually just Kenny Strauss. Uh, so I don't know. I don't. I don't think we can lay this at Lynn's feet. Yeah, but if you can't actually remember what you said back when you said it, I don't think it's fair to blame Lynn. Yeah. I don't know. I think Lynn should be censured and fined. His <laughs> his salary as official unofficial clip cutting archivist of TBTL should be slashed in half. Uh oh. Mm. Yeah. I could do that math for you too. <laughs> um, the Stens are also uh, detectives. Uh, somebody pointed out that Chris Hayes put his hand in front of his mouth when talking about the video, which is an unconscious tell that he's lying. And they accuse Chris of being fake news. And Luke says he'll never play poker with him. <laughs> <laughs> and this is just like Luke not recognizing himself singing Wind Beneath My Wings over the phone when it was played back to them. And he thought it right. was somebody else. And it's funny because every single time... They played it. Let's see. When Andrew put it in the newsletter, I didn't bother to listen to it then. But then on Monday, they played it. And they're like, well, the the actual um, recording, it's it's a little bit quieter. So you it's harder to hear it. And I'm like, I don't hear it at all. They sound exactly no. the same. It sounds like one thing to me. I don't understand what this is. I'm choosing to believe that Chris Hayes is a world-class yo-yo scatter. <laughs> And I'm choosing to believe this because sometimes the leap of faith is your ultimate dedication to a belief. And I am choosing to believe 
that Chris Hayes can scat this. That's a world I'm willing to live in. I can believe that. Yes. Join me. We're going to make pamphlets. Okay. I'm there. Um, And then in emails today, we get something from Christine who explains her version of misophonia that kind of extends. um, She cannot handle seeing or hearing people brush their teeth. It's just a serious phobia for her. And yeah, I was thinking, how on earth does she brush her own teeth? But she says she just looks down at the sink and gets through it. Poor girl. And uh, Luke says that he wanders around like Belle from Beauty and the Beast while brushing his teeth. <laughs> this was a well, she's singing analogy. that. I know. Well, she's singing that mean song about uh, all the people who live in her town. <laughs> he just multitasks. That's how he sees it. Um, and then we get a ton of Disney talk. Uh, and then they play the Let Me Poop song from the little girl no. parading Frozen. No, Luke. Yeah, that's an no. awful awful choice awful choice terrible way to end the episode but that's what it is yep i do not approve uh, on to thursday number 2503 number 18 with a bullet luke is at wash wash and doormat today he is very busy these days i can understand why he appreciated his summer break so much mm-hmm. uh, he offhandedly mentions that he has been doing some intermittent fasting so we can look forward to more of that talk um, the first thing is that they get uh, Rico Galliano from the Dinner Party Download on the phone. I have to confess, I've listened to quite a bit of Dinner Party Download. I still cannot tell them apart. I have no idea which <laughs> one is Rico and which one is Brendan. <laughs> Just two intermittent white dudes. Um, Rico says, having listened to the intro of the show, that they sound like a morning zoo. So this unfortunately leads Andrew to play a clip of the WMMS Buzzard mm. Morning Zoo, the thing about Ronald Reagan and a party joke line. And I was like, no, Andrew. There's nothing no. Andrew loves more than a morning zoo discussion. Nope. Um, then Rico talks about a friend of his who is Dutch, whose uh, American woman impression consists of, oh my God, Heather. Which is pretty funny. <laughs> it's pretty accurate. Yeah. And Luke says he's amazed at the command that uh, foreigners have over the English language in general and also kind of knowing American cultural jokes and American idioms. And I think that that is truth. Um, yep. Mm-hmm. We forget here in our giant, all-consuming American country that there are other people that know what we're doing. Um, so the reason that Rico is on the phone is that the dinner party download is ending. They were doing their, our last show in Seattle in the middle of November. Um, and they hope that a lot of tens will come out to see it. I expect there's a big overlap there. So there probably will be, uh, they talk about interviewing people, um, and whether you listen to old interviews before you interview someone, Luke, um, says he does it because he wants to know if someone's nice or mean before he talks to them. He can deal with it either way. He just needs to know what he's dealing with before he walks into it, which makes a lot of sense. Um, and then they talk about, oh yeah, he, one of the things that he does is he likes to figure out what the most over asked question is so that he does not ask them for Example, he did not ask Max Potemkin of Cards Against Humanity what his favorite card is, which is a good move. And uh, Rico said that one of their tricks on the Dinner Party Download has always been to ask people what question they're most tired of being asked. Because uh, (laughs) in that way, they get the people to answer the question and still 
get something interesting out of it without annoying them. And I have always thought that that is a cheap trick that they do. Yep. Yeah. I, that that's not that is just cool. asking the question without exactly. even knowing what it is <laughs> that kind of gotcha journalism that's getting them thrown off the air <laughs> but they have a new book coming out so the dinner party download empire will continue it's called brunch is hell how to save the world by throwing a dinner party and they talk about all the reasons that they dislike brunch boy andrew really loved this topic because he hates brunch especially la brunch um Brunch punches a hole in your day, and uh, brunch has no sense of gratitude, which was an interesting thought, because nobody does any work for brunch except the this people is ridiculous. <laughs> I know brunch is great. There's nothing brunch wrong with awesome. mimosas and eggs. Give me a break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. Give me a bark. Uh, right. Um, <laughs> Andrew hates going out for brunch, but he does suggest that why don't we just bring brunch home it's not dinner parties shouldn't because be then confined. you have to clean it up right but he his contention <laughs> is that that if dinner parties are good they shouldn't have to be confined to dinner time so why don't you just make some eggs and sausage and make some mimosas and some bloody marys and there you go and i'm disagreeing really, with his whole premise dinner parties are not good but you know andrew this is leads to pure puttering after yeah. it's over, he can clean until uh, it fills his heart to the top. His grinchy heart will grow three sizes if he putters enough. <laughs> uh, Luke says that um, it was going to brunch with his ex-wife at some cool hip friend's house really changed his worldview because he wanted to be cool like them and he wanted them to really like him. And it never uh, occurred to him to drink at 11 in the morning. So this is like, <laughs> this is the beginning of the end. <laughs> I know. This is, yeah. Uh, top story for today it was really disappointing as far as I'm concerned. Something called the A-List, or what I wrote down as City Voters 2017 Top 10 Best Local Radio Personality Contest, where... Luke was in the top 10. Uh, They looked it up and he ended up getting eighth place radio personality. Um, There is a janky plaque that he can purchase for $200, which I think is bullshit. If you win Mm -hmm. the prize, they ought to give it to you for free. But he thinks that it's just a scam to, I guess, get people to spend 200 bucks on a trophy. And to get clicks and sell ads. Yeah, that's all it is. Right. And they do a lot of, uh, well, they do the rundown of exactly who was in what place, which could not interest me any less. And they find an old list that Andrew was on where he was number 18 back when he had the Andrew Walsh show. Uh, And there were some strange comments on it. Um, Now, this was the one where you kind of remembered, Bobby, that it was from the old Western Washington, best of Western Washington stuff. How did that work? Yeah, so uh, Christy and I had the same memory and both independently and probably just about simultaneously emailed Andrew like an angry explanation of what the hell happened. Um, City Voter is the company, we're pretty sure, that used to supply the infrastructure for voting for Best of Western Washington Weekend Magazine's thing, uh, which is the one that for years we've lobbied for TBTL to get votes in or for us to get votes in. Um because they do the best local podcast too. 
And then a couple of years ago, Best of Western Washington switched their format for the way the voting happens online. They just moved to another vendor or built their own thing. I don't know. But the city voter company had all this infrastructure already built. So our best guess is that someone over at City Voters said, well, fuck it. We'll just do it anyway. And we'll just run it independently of Best of Western Washington. And so a couple of years ago, there was this huge confusing thing where Best of Western Washington and something called Seattle A-List that kind of popped up out of nowhere were both soliciting votes for the best in Western Washington um, because they could and because they had all the data and they had everything set up and they had all the email addresses to send emails to people. So why not try to do it anyway and sell some ad space and clicks and get some attention um, so Best of Western Washington is the legitimate one that's still going. And A-list Seattle city voter is just completely its own thing, trying to sell overpriced plaques to people under the guise of being another contest like Best of Western Washington. And we were voted number 11 on the list of 55 <laughs> for best local podcast on Seattle A-list city voter uh, in I don't remember what year this was, but there are still some comments from voters there about how great we are, including someone saying, I apologize for nothing, Aiden. Um, <laughs> wow. Somebody wrote a podcast about a podcast. What could be better? These are mostly from 2015. And that's probably from the year we were trying to get people to vote for us for Best of Western Washington before the switch. So, uh, yes, it's a scam, but it's also just this company just using what they've got to to mess with people. These contest things are the worst because those websites are like one step up from radio stations. They yep. are just, <laughs> they're so terrible. And there's like 9,000 categories, none of which really matter at all. And you're right. It's advertising and scamming these poor winners. So, yeah. Well, I mean, in Buffalo, uh, when I was at the orchestra, we would always compete for best musical organization or something from the Art Voice, which is the big weekly newspaper, Alt Weekly there. And they would print the ballot in the paper, and then you could vote online too. And they would throw a big party every year. But if you won, they gave you a little wooden plaque. And so it was really exciting to get to go and take that plaque and have some drinks with all of our friends. And But, you know, that was a little more legit. This is like you've just been nominated for who's who of Western Washington. <laughs> Pay three hundred dollars to get your name printed in this book that everyone paid three hundred dollars to have mm -hmm. their name printed in. Yep. Yeah. Uh so then I don't understand how this happened. They eat some fortune cookies? Did I like black out for a minute? You're, I don't you're know not wrong, but I don't know why or how. <laughs> they and just they ate on the air had fortune cookies and and they ate them and something about if it didn't you know come free with your meal at the chinese place would you actually eat fortune cookies and luke says he used to buy bags of them and eat them but i assume that these were artisanal fortune cookies <laughs> not the mass-produced ones i don't know this was such a weird uh little interlude we eat chinese food fairly often uh we really like Chinese food in this house, so probably once a week when we're around a lot. Um, and we always go to the same place, and I always pick it up. And I've reached the point where they have the fortune cookies out in the world. So you just grab them with the other stuff. Right. And I've I've just stopped taking them. Like, I always took them just because I was like, well, it's part of the meal, and it's free. So obviously I want them. 
And we would read the fortunes and then literally not eat the cookies. And I finally just stopped taking the cookies. I've matured to the point where I don't need to take every free thing just because I can. And fortune cookies is on the list of things I can. They got. don't taste very good. They just no. taste like vanilla. Right. And they what usually are you talking stale. about? They taste awesome. They're like vanilla-y cardboard. No. Also, the just... the the fortunes in the ones at our favorite restaurant just aren't very good. Like, if they were particularly... We should get LRB fortune cookies. Then I'd turn around on this. That's on my list of vendors. things to make. I've never made homemade fortune cookies, but I'd like to. She kind of need a pan because it's sort of a special shaped cookie. No, you just, you bake them flat and then while they're still hot, you bend them. Right. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, I I have to put something on my fingers or just burn my fingers, but that's okay. I want to try yeah. it once in my life. You're a baker. Your fingers are already probably pretty well. <laughs> Plus, it's a great way to get rid of those fingerprints. That's true. That's a twofer right there. Yeah. Uh, well, okay, let's leave this strange fortune cookie tangent and move on to emails from Heather on the subject of trick-or-treating. Her uh, teenage son, I guess, was invested enough in the show to ask how many trick-or-treaters Luke and Carrie got. So that was funny. And he said that you have to earn your rep as a good house. You can't just be automatically a good house. So they may need a few more years to build their customer base. Um, Luke said that they did not give out full size candy bars. They had fun size, but they gave out handfuls of them. So they probably ended up getting more candy than you would if you just had a fun size. But I think that that's all that's optics right there. doesn't matter how many fun size you give out. It just doesn't mm-hmm. compare to a full size candy bar. Yeah. People will talk yeah. about that. But despite the fact that they only had six trick-or-treaters, Luke was really worried about running out of candy since Carrie was <laughs> giving them so much. He's worried he wouldn't have any left over for him. Uh, then also on the subject of trick-or-treat from Heidi, she wants to know if Luke ever took Addie trick-or-treating. And he says he did. But of course, there's the problem of cold Halloweens when you have to wear a coat over your costume. Uh, yes, that is a problem. I think it was 35 mm-hmm. degrees here on Halloween night. So poor kids. That it was of... rainy and cold. We usually get tons of kids. And we had just a handful because it was rainy and cold. And Texans can't handle that. In Michigan, <laughs> no. I was so used to trick-or-treating in my snowsuit. But uh, here they just stay inside. Uh, also from Heidi, uh, did you have treats for the adults? Because that's going to build your Halloween brand. Her, She has a neighbor who gives out jello shots and now they make sure that they never miss that house isn't that is it christy's sister or jeremy's sister that gave out the jello shots i don't remember Uh, but i'm um, gonna guess it's christy's sister based on personality love you all of you (laughs) um but so that's something that they may want to consider in the future but i don't know about like luke sitting back there doing jello shot after jello shot waiting for the trick-or-treaters to arrive. (laughs) And Heidi says that she wants to have these spectacular shows for every holiday now, and she advocates for the TBTL Spectacular, which did make me laugh out loud. (laughs) Yeah. And that is Thursday. And with that, we'll go to Friday. 2504, New York, Jersey. Opening with the opinions very drop from Roadhouse. Uh, it's late on a Friday for them, and Andrew's weekend has already begun. He's shining his coffee with Irish cream. And 
Andrew also gets down to business asking Luke what's up with imaginary Rudy. Because he's been asking Rudy if she's ready before every episode whether or not Rudy's in the same room or state. Yeah, I don't know if I need this to be a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, this was a surprisingly long episode, I thought, for a Friday episode, considering it seems like Luke was in a hurry to get somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it actually breaks down pretty easily. Um, after this episode, Luke is leaving to interview Barry Blitt, um, who's illustrated a ton of New Yorker covers. And Andrew's thinking about how his week is done and he can't imagine doing any more work. And, and Luke's running off to a gig at Town Hall that he doesn't seem very worried about, considering he's interviewing, like, an important professional guy. <laughs> Um, And so they get talking about that for a little while and how Luke just has done this enough times now that he doesn't have any anxiety about hopping up on stage and just talking to Barry Blitt. It helps that reading his book was just flipping through a bunch of New Yorker cover illustrations. Yeah. And Luke has done enough live live wire. He sounds great on there. I would assume that the nervousness would really diminish. Yeah. A couple of takeaways from this for me. Um, first I wrote in my notes, the interview, the Mew Yorker cover illustrator, and I got excited about a New Yorker all about cats. <laughs> I'd read that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, then they talk a little bit about, um, Q and a time at things like this and how the questions from the audience are always terrible because it's really terrible. just people from the audience wanting to yep. say what they want to say in the form of a question. <laughs> yep. Oh, there are a few scenarios that I will be more embarrassed for other people than at like post show questions or something for yeah. performances. It's call in radio segments do that for me too. Yep. Diane Ream. Absolutely. Um, I was at the uh, Chris Hayes book talk when his new book came out in Boston many months ago now. And I wanted to get up and come up with a great question to ask, but as the end of the talk was coming, there were already a you know a line had already formed twenty people deep of these people who just wanted to vent their political opinions at him, mm-hmm. and all I wanted to do was ask him if he painted his bald spot. So I just left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think that those are mostly about people trying to form a personal connection or what they feel is a personal connection with the speaker or a celebrity or whoever. They don't really very often have a, an actual question. Yeah. Uh, Andrew speaks in a perfect quote moment when he says, you're like a gonzo journalist and I'm like a Fozzie Bear journalist. <laughs> I laughed that out loud at that. That was wonderful. That was the line of the week, I think. Uh, and then we get into more travel talk um, just quickly because Andrew mentions that he has a work credit card for APM and Luke does not for obvious responsibility reasons. <laughs> Smart. Yeah. Um they go into the donors, and before a Brock Heward tangent that's really not worth getting into, uh, one of the donors of the day was Maggie Wilsey, and I just thought it was funny that they ended up, through a roundabout way, nicknaming her Maggie Middle Shelf Wilsey. <laughs> hey, Maggie. We love you. Terrible nickname. Yes. She's top awful. shelf in my book. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, out of the top story, Luke is going to New York on Monday, and because it was a last-minute flight for CBS, he got booked in seat 24B, which is definitely a middle seat in the back. Um, but thanks to his compulsive checking of the Alaska Airlines app, he managed to snag seat 10A when it opened up uh, in just a moment somehow, and uh, he was pretty delighted by that. This is, of course, because he's flying Alaska into Newark instead of any other airline where he could have gotten a seat into an actual New York airport. Um, 
because he's that Alaska loyal. He'd take the middle seat in the back instead of checking other airlines. Then we get a commentary on how the word roast appears to be back in the lexicon. Uh, much like leave? how when Luke was a kid, he'd say they were capping on people. I don't think it left. No, it didn't. Psych is gone and doesn't need to come back. <laughs> no. Uh, then we get to perhaps my favorite part of the week, not quote of the week, but part of the week when uh, Andrew jokes that uh, TBTL is just going to become a companion show to the sports show, Danny, Dave and more. Uh, and they say, we'll just roast Danny, Dave and more and they won't listen to us because they'll get their feelings hurt. <laughs> Which sounds familiar from somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they got on to the Trump Twitter account talk and how it was canceled by a, an employee on his last day who's an American patriot and real hero. Yep. Yep. Uh, if only there was a way to do it permanently. Mm -hmm. uh, Andrew goes on a tangent about reviving the At Walsh Show Twitter account that hasn't been used since the last night of his Cairo radio show. And he did log in and tweet back at someone from it recently uh, after spending about an hour figuring it out. But why? On, well, something to do. I totally would have seen this. Somebody tweeted at it, and I would go down this kind of obsessive path where I needed to get back into it. Hmm. I did that with my MySpace account a while ago. See? No dice. I get emails from an old um, Tumblr that I had asking me if I'm still using that name or if they can clean it out. And I'm starting to get them more or more. I think they really want me to give up my old Tumblr name. Uh in expressions, they mentioned that apparently Kara uses the phrase, go piss up a rope. I've I learned that, that one before. from Ween. Yeah, yeah the yeah. song. Yeah. Yeah. The country <laughs> album that they put out. Yeah. I thought that was great. Uh, and then Andrew is just mad because you can only have one Twitter handle per email account. For obvious reasons. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we could all be a Russian troll. Uh, and then we get into what has been a pretty controversial part of uh, the last couple of days for us. Luke's last job story. Um, Luke tells a story he's told before of quitting at Storables Extra Space in the U District. And there's a long explanation of how Storables is just like any other store that sells this kind of crap. But they take the tags off to seem uh, fancier. And so that you can't comparison shop. And I don't know that I need to retell the whole story, but he gets busted for using the phone while on the clock and triumphantly in his mind gives his manager a quarter. <laughs> for wasting that much time. For reimbursing for the amount of time he wasted while on the clock when he quit. Oh, and we have some uh, feelings on all sides of this story because on one hand, it's it's kind of funny that he tried to sort of do this in such an intimidating way. And clearly it didn't go the way he wanted. There's also some hard feelings uh, and feeling bad for the manager who fired him because she was clearly overwhelmed by this. Uh, is this our throw your phone moment for Friday? This is from listener Lauren Friday show as a boss. I actually got pissed at Luke's inability to understand how, what he did was not okay. No, not the end of the world, but also not okay. And quitting because his boss reprimanded him? Luke, I now have tons of sympathy for Steve Nelson and Nate Toby. 
Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, um, we don't know the backstory to all of this. Luke said he only worked there for a month, but and I'm sure he was just a model employee up to this point and totally didn't deserve to be rebuked for any behavior. I'm sorry, is my sarcasm coming through the line? I can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, like uh, Lauren, as a person who has been a, a manager of a retail store, I... I mean, mine was a lot smaller. I don't know how many employees you have at a storables in 20 or 25 people, but um, my store was normally four or five people. And so if somebody walked out like that, that would really impact me. That would be now Anne works a 12-hour shift and has to figure out what to do. I don't know. If you don't want to work there, just put in your two weeks notice and then don't work there. But why do you have to be a drama queen about it to somebody who maybe was not as chill as they should have been about, I mean, a cool manager would have just kind of let it go or maybe said, oh, hey, it's probably not a good idea to clock in and then start doing personal stuff. But I just be a fucking adult and do your work and then quit. And even if it's just with no notice to be like, yeah, I'm not coming in tomorrow. So be it. But I, I don't know. I, this just sits very poorly with me. Well, I think we all have fantasies of quitting dramatically at some point or another and the theatrics of it. Um, and like you said, clearly this probably wasn't Luke's first offense. And also I made the point in our chat earlier, this manager at Astorables probably doesn't have an MBA. You know, this person didn't study like HR techniques and how to diffuse situations. And, you know, if this person didn't handle the reprimand correctly, it's probably not a huge shock. And so everyone probably acted poorly here because everyone was human and over-emotional about this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mentioned, and you mentioned at the top of the show, Meredith, you know, I've quit a couple of different jobs in dramatic fashion. And like I said, you conflated them a little bit because I'll tell both really quickly. I think I've mentioned at least one of them before. One is when I was working, uh, I was only a couple of weeks in on a job working at a proudly serving Starbucks in uh, Barnes & Noble. And I was seasonal help, and so they were very heavy staffed. And I was grossly sick, like cold, runny nose, coughing, sneezing, like like biohazard sick. And I called in early in the day, like right after the store opened for an evening shift, and I was like, hey, I am disgusting. There's absolutely no way I can come in. I just can't. I, I can't touch people's food like this. And the manager on duty said, well, somebody already called in tonight, so I don't have the time to find anyone else. You you have to come in. You just – you have to come in. It's not optional. And I was like, no, you don't understand. I can't touch people's food. <laughs> and he just said, you, you have to come in. So I just didn't show up because I could not work like that. And then a couple of days later, because it was the end of my work week, um, I didn't hear from them. And he had sort of implied that if I didn't come in, I was going to be fired. So I just went in and I took my uh, Starbucks visor and my name badge and I walked in and I found the manager on duty. It was a different manager on duty. And I just handed them to her and I said, talk to whatever his name was, Jim. He'll know what's going on. I quit. And then I just turned around and walked out and never heard from them again, except my last check was there. And just like Luke, when he went back and was sort of everybody <laughs> hushed and was stunned, um, I didn't go back in for mine. Uh, they were supposed to mail them if we weren't there the day they came out, but they never mailed mine. 
And so I called the anonymous complaint line for Barnes and Noble that they give to all the employees if they think there's something bad happening and they can't talk to their boss. And I just said, hey, I was fired because I refused to work on people's food when I was super gross. I need my paycheck or I'm going to talk to people about this. And it came the next day priority. <laughs> Ooh, nice. <laughs> um, the other one was actually another coffee shop, but it was while I was in college and it was on campus. And the manager of the coffee shop was firing all the guys and hiring basically the most attractive, like, basic-looking girls he could find who were really ditzy and flaunting their assets um, and had no desire to be trained or learn how to do anything. And he put me on with one of these girls closing one night. And I was supposed to be training her, but she was useless. And we're cleaning up, and she's helping clean up. And I find out the next morning... Uh, I should note, I had been drinking at this job. Um, I had stopped caring because I could see the way things were going. And so I had drinks behind the counter all night. And I just figured I'd ride it out until either I fired or quit or whatever. Uh, because clearly there was no effort being put in here. And it was a really shitty job. Um, she had, when she was cleaning, I guess accidentally flipped the ice cream cooler off. Because we also sold, like, um, Hershey Creation Station ice cream. And several giant tubs of ice cream melted overnight and had to be thrown out. Uh, and so I got called in to discuss this and I had a feeling this was going to be my firing. So I just wrote a letter explaining how he was firing all the competent staff for ditzy co-eds. And I CC'd it to his management and I came in and I handed him a copy of it. And I was like, we don't have to talk about this. And I left. Um, wow. And if I hadn't done that, actually, I would have never gone into the arts because it was the day after that that I realized I was fucked and I really needed a job. <laughs> and so I just started sending blind emails. And one of them I sent was to the employer that I ended up going to at the Buffalo Phil. They weren't hiring, but they needed a little bit of help. And my email came at the right time. And they just said, oh, he can write. We should talk to him. Um, and so I sort of windfalled into a better job because of I just being bold and doing that and not, you know, talking about the part about how I was drinking behind the counter. <laughs> yeah, maybe leave that out. Yeah. yeah. So those those are my two quitting stories that I think actually were really good for me. <laughs> um, do you guys have dramatic quitting stories or should we just move on? I've always quit appropriately with at least two weeks notice. How dare you? I know. Mm -hmm. Boring. <laughs> I've never had a bad relationship with an employer. I've never had anybody who's been less than good to me. So I would, I would never not give proper notice. I mean, when I quit the second job, I told my manager with like three months notice. So she would have time to get right. used to the idea. And when I told her, I cried and then she cried. So. <laughs> and, um, uh, and what are you going to be doing this holiday season? I'm going to be picking up some hours at the store. <laughs> <laughs> Got to pay for that pork jiggle trip somehow. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, and the other thought that I had when we had talked about this before we started the show was just that if you had been Luke's manager, I think there would have been a lot more compassion. I mean, I think you recoiled a little bit because you saw yourself in the shoes of this manager. And True. I just think even though you might not like the confrontation, I I think you probably would have handled it better. <laughs> Uh, I probably would. I just, I do. You're right. I have a lot of sympathy for managers who, uh, as you said, probably don't have an MBA. I mean, when I, 
uh, got my job as a full-time manager of a store, I was 24 years old. I didn't know anything. I didn't know yeah. how to do any HR stuff. I just tried to treat everybody as best I could and be a good person and take my job seriously. And uh, I, I don't know. I give the benefit of the doubt to that Storables manager who probably was not that much older than Luke and had little support from what I know about these sorts of things and was just sort of left to kind of follow policy on her own. And maybe she was a little bit um, too much of a stickler for meaningless rules for somebody like Luke. But I don't know. I just think that's a hard place to be put in. It's not fun to reprimand anybody and it's not fun to fire anybody for sure. I've done that a couple of times and it's awful. Yeah. So I'm just, I fall on, on the side of not making life more difficult for other people that have to cover for you. Yeah. Well, I think your emotional intelligence is just particularly high for someone who might be in that kind of job. And that's not to insult anyone who has that kind of retail middle management sort of job, because I'm sure we have listeners who have those kind of jobs. But I think if they're listening to this show an hour and a half in and appreciate us, they're probably fairly sharp. Um, but a lot of people get promoted for no good reason in retail just because they're around long enough. Mm -hmm. And it's very possible that the person who fired Luke or, or confronted Luke rather just, just had no capacity to handle it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there were no I winners mean, in that story. He's not an easy person to wrangle on the best of days. Let's be honest. No. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be his boss. Yep. <laughs> All true. Uh, a related revelation about Storables is that Andrew hates stickers, which is something we should examine more in future episodes. <laughs> Not to change the subject too abruptly, but I don't want to miss out on that. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's an Andrew Fantasyland somewhere where he just walks around with goo gone and makes sure that there's no sticker residue on anything. Yeah, like he has a holster or something. Right. He's got a, a couple of bottles of goo gone on either hip. Uh, and with that, let's do music for your weekend. Luke has Lucinda Williams' Car Wheels on a Gravel Road, which leads to a tangent about how Wynn Rosenfeld now works for Jordan Peele's production company, which has come up a couple of times. Uh, and Luke wants to profile Jordan Peele for CBS Sunday Morning. This comes up because in Jordan Peele's bio, it mentions that his mother is Lucinda Williams. <laughs> and small corners of the internet have presumed that that is the Lucinda Williams, not just a Lucinda Williams, which of course... It's not true, <laughs> but it makes for a hell of a narrative arc. Um, Andrew brings Bell and Sebastian, uh, Judy, and The Dream of Horses, and listener Dave brings Cut Copies, new single, Airborne. I think it's new. And with that, let us do some housekeeping. Please buy some things from us in our merch store. Um, we've got all the Christmas decorations done. We're ready for the holidays. The trees are up. The lights are twinkling. It's time to do your holiday shopping. Uh, the archive project continues as usual. Lots more weeks because as we've said before, they keep making shows that need to be archived. Um, so get in touch with Christy at our uh, email address and let her know that you would like to tackle a week. Uh, we would love it if you would check out our Amazon link uh, from our website, littleredbandwagon.com slash Amazon, and make your purchases purchases through that affiliate link, and we'll get a little teeny-weeny kickbacks from that. Uh, on our sister podcast, Earbuds and Earworms, Bobby, you said you listened to this show already? I did. I was driving home from Boston very late last night after the concert and missing instruments debacle. 
um, and it had just posted, so I got a chance to listen to it on my way home. Uh, we've got another Jason uh, guest co-host. I believe he's from the Brunch podcast that uh, Amy helps with. Uh, and they broke down songs with questions in them, uh, which was fun. There was a good bit of variety on that one, actually. I, I I think Amy ribs me a little bit because when I was on the show a few weeks ago, I noted how some weeks make better playlists than others. And I'm more amused when it's all good music and not quite so goofy. And this one, for the most part, had uh, a lot of great, you know, you could put on the list of music that was in this episode, even though she didn't feature mine. That's fine. And uh, it's pretty good. So songs about questions or songs with questions in them. It's worth a listen. Hmm. The continuing saga of Amy and the Jasons. Yep. <laughs> and that is broken down in detail about how she's on her third Jason. <laughs> and as always, please send us any favorite clips that you might have for our end of the year show. We are getting perilously close to having to start working on that. So there's not a lot of time left for us to say anything else that is amazing. So we'll just have to sort through all the old amazing things that we said. Find us online at littleredbandwagon.com and throwyourphone.com. On Facebook at Little Red Bandwagon. On Twitter at LRB Podcast. Email littleredbandwagon at gmail.com. Voicemails and text messages to 802-432-TBTL, 802-432-8285. And with that, Meredith, why don't you get us out of here? Until next time, this is the next party. And we love you, Jen. Nailed it. Oh my God, Heather.